Welcome back to Extra Point here on KDOS AM 1060. As always, follow along with us online at KDOS1060.com. And with the KDOS 1060 app, we're popping on out to the KDOS hotline. Mike Tanier of The Messenger set to chat some NFL. Mike, it's Kayla. How are you doing today? I'm doing well. I'm just sitting here complaining about offsides calls like a like a champion. Well, you know what? That's what we all do, and that's where we should start, you know? Uh, our conversation here with that Chiefs and the Bills game, the Bills end up winning 20-17 to 17 here. They keep their playoff chances alive. Meanwhile, the Chiefs find themselves completely irate, um, taking a candidate for play of the year off the board because of Kadarius Tony lining up offsides, as you alluded to there. So do the Chiefs and Andy Reid have any legitimate complaint here with the referees not Helping Tony get back on sides. No, not at all. I, I think I think what Andy Reid is referring to. There are some formation uh, penalties uh, in terms of like who's lined up on the line and who isn't. Where it's not that unusual for a uh, a wide receiver to turn to the referee and say, "Am I good?" Like you'll see that from time to time. Like they're supposed to be a yard off the line of scrimmage or on the line of scrimmage, and there might be a few inches here or there. They'll turn to the side judge and, 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 and nod to them to say, is this formation legal? So that does happen. That does not apply to being one yard off sides. Kadarius Tony was one yard offside. He was, he was not trying to make sure he was an eligible receiver or anything else. He just did it wrong, and it was significantly and glaringly wrong. You don't get, like, a heads up from the officials for that. So Andy Reid is kind of blowing smoke a little bit and maybe blowing off some steam. The only thing the officials could have done to save us, you know, a little bit of grief and a little bit of this feeling of what would have been, they could have blown that play dead right at the, at the snap, blown it completely dead and said, you got a guy offsides and spared us from seeing that beautiful, beautiful play that was like having a, a Christmas present given to you and taken away from you. They could have spared us that, but there's no way they could let that play stand. That was a flagrant, flagrant offsides fail. It absolutely was. Uh, to the larger issue issue here with the Chiefs, their offensive struggles and frustrations. We know all about the wide receiver drops. We we know how good Patrick Mahomes is and how he can really help elevate any receiving core. But this offense just really continues to have its struggles. We know about the offensive mind from Andy Reid here. But as we keep waiting for this offense to turn around, is this who and what this offense is? And is some of the poor offseason roster moves and draft selections to blame for what we're seeing from Kansas City here on the offensive side of the ball. Yeah, this is who they are. And I don't want to like be too harsh in terms of the offseason moves and things. There's only so much you can do in an offseason when you're up against the salary cap, when you're, you're trying to pay Chris Jones and Travis Kelsey and Mahomes and some of these other guys. You're going to go out there and Rasheed Rice is the receiver you're going to get. And he's He's going to be good sometimes. He's going to fumble sometimes. And you're going to have to let a guy like Juju Smith-Schuster go, and you're going to have to hope that somebody like Justin Watson sets up, and sometimes they don't. But what you see for the Chiefs is that anything downfield that doesn't go to Kelsey has to be manufactured, schemed up. It has to be all the creativity in the world has to be put into place to get Kadarius Tony open, to get you know, Valdez Scanling uh, enough space that he can operate, uh, you know, even Rasheed Rice to get them the ball. There's no... There's no, forget like even a Tyree Hill, there's no Juju Smith-Schuster, I can go out there and win. There's nobody like that. And, you know, uh, Mahomes and Kelsey and Reed, they can do a lot of creative stuff to get these guys open. But when you have to do that all the time, it puts a limit, puts an upper threshold of what you can accomplish against some of the better teams in the NFL. 
Chatting here with Mike Tanier from The Messenger on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Flipping this side of the conversation over to the Bills side of things. Uh, the win, it was absolutely much needed to keep them, uh, their playoff hopes alive, sitting at 7-6. and six. They're still on the outside looking in, though. But have we seen anything fundamentally different with Joe Brady now as the offensive coordinator? And uh, a two-part question for you. How would you characterize Josh Allen's season to date so far? Uh, you know, with the, with the Joe Brady thing, after every win, now there's been two wins, like everybody runs the internet and says, hey, they, they used pre-snap motion 22 times in this game. And, you know, before Joe Brady, they only used it 21 times. But we come up with these sort of like ad hoc explanations for what's different. Uh, maybe there's some difference in the play calling. Maybe there's a little bit more, a little bit less YOLO ball throwing balls down the field by Josh Allen. But you're coming off a game where they scored 20 points. This was this was not an offensive explosion, um, and, and you know they, they scored more points against the Eagles, but a lot of that was Allen running. And I think Allen's had a, had a fine season. This has not been an MVP season. It has not been an All Pro season. You still get some of the lapses in terms of interceptions. You still get the fact that he has wide receiver issues like Mahomes. There, there isn't that much beyond Stephon Diggs for him to throw to. But when you watch Allen, you see that the the guy he is is still there. You see the running plays. You see the Darcy throws. He's still there. He may not be up in that upper echelon, but he's still somebody that you got to watch out for. And he can still get them into the playoff chase. That said, they got the Cowboys next week. So it's going to get harder before it gets easier for the Buffalo Bills. The Ravens, they pick up a 37-31 win in overtime. No Mark Andrews now, right now, for Lamar Jackson. Instead, he spread the ball around, four to OBJ, five to Isaiah Likely, six to Zay Flowers, five to Nelson Aguilar. Now, this is kind of another question for you, offensive coordinator changes. Have you seen a difference with this offense through 14 weeks with Todd Munkin's uh, you know, involvement now as offensive coordinator and Lamar Jackson finishing games off? Do we have trust in that? Yeah, uh, you have seen a big difference, and it's it's kind of a nuts and bolts difference. But you, what you just described kind of explains it a little bit. There's a confidence to get the ball to the wide receivers, and it's a confidence to get the ball to wide receivers sometimes over the middle, sometimes in tight windows, uh, not just you know a bomb or like a sideline quick screen, which was too often the case with Greg Roman. You know, the receivers only had one or two things to do. Anything over the middle of the field was Mark Andrews. You get something different now. And I'm really impressed with Lamar Jackson this year. You still see the amazing scrambles. You still see, against the Rams in particular, he had, he had to do his uh, pirouetting and ballet and everything like that to get away from Aaron Donald several times. And he was able to do those things and pick up yards on his own and extend plays. You also see him in the pocket, even without Mark Andrews, even with these other guys, directing the offense, spreading the ball around, throwing a lot of different kinds of passes, handing off, operating under center once in a while. It's a very, it's a very uh, different thing than we saw a couple of, for the last couple of years where it was Lamar Jackson running some sort of customized uh, read option service academy type thing and his talent doing everything. I love the Ravens right now. I think they're the best team in the AFC. They have a lot of ways to beat you. Their defense ran hot and cold yesterday, but it's really good. You know their special teams can win, and they showed that again yesterday. This is a solid top-to-bottom team. For the Rams, they open up the game with their opening drive with nine straight running plays. We actually saw Sean McVay do this when they opened up the second half against the Arizona Cardinals in uh, their first meeting with the Cardinals. So how should we, though, look at this Rams team here with games against the Commanders, Saints, Giants, and 49ers remaining on the schedule? 
It, by the way, that was a phenomenal game plan by Sean McVay. He did. He pounded the ball early, and then all of a sudden, Cooper Cup and Puka Nakura open. You've got the, you know, you got the defense mystified, confused a little bit. I don't have the playoff odds for everybody in front of me right now. I'm afraid, but you're looking at a six and seven team, like you said, with a rather easy schedule coming up. And you know, if I needed to, if I was forced to handicap things right now, I would say that one team in the NFC East is going to be a wild card. And then you've got this mess of teams. The Rams are ahead of Seattle, in my opinion. Even though the Vikings are 7-6 and six, coming off of a really weird 3 nothing game yesterday, I would put the Rams ahead of them because they're healthy and have an easy schedule. And, and there's also the Green Bay Packers in the mix. I have a feeling the Rams are going to be a playoff team, probably a one-and-done playoff team, but still pretty good accomplishment for a team that looked like it was ready to go into rebuilding mode at the start of the season. Mike Tanier with The Messenger right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the Extra Point. Okay, the Sunday night football contest from yesterday. The Cowboys took it to the Eagles 33-13. to uh, This is something that we've been seeing from the Cowboys for several weeks in a row here now, especially how they are playing at home. The schedule for them does toughen up a bit here, going on the road to the Bills, the Dolphins, then home against the Lions, and they finish up the season on the road against the Commanders. But is it time that we trust Dak Prescott and Mike McCarthy have they given us enough performances now to say execution is there, play calling is there, in-game decisions are there? Yes, yes, and yes. Dak Prescott looks like he's he's taken a step forward from last year. I would say McCarthy took that step forward with him where there's a little more confidence. There's a little bit less like critical mistake at critical, t- critical time. We have not seen that Dak really this year. We haven't seen him maybe since the 49ers game. You talk about the schedule getting tougher. This is the tough part of the schedule. The Seahawks were supposed to be a tough opponent. The Eagles come in as a tough opponent. Um, and then you get the Bills and Dolphins. So they're taking care of business in this tough schedule. There is only one real problem for the Dallas Cowboys right now, and that problem is the rest of the NFL's problem at all as well, the San Francisco 49ers. You could stack everything up for, for the Cowboys that you want, stack everything up for most of these other teams. You say, are they as good pound for pound as the San Francisco 49ers? And right now, the answer to that is no. As for the Eagles, the defense giving up 34 to the Bills, 49 to the 49ers, 33 to the Cowboys in their last three. How much of this is just some exhaustion from the defense having such a brutal stretch that they've just faced? How much of it is some cause for concern in the secondary for this Eagles unit? It's mostly cause for the concern in the secondary. You have particularly in the middle of the secondary. Eagles are short at linebacker. They're shorthanded at safety. They really, they've been revolving door nickel cornerbacks, nickel and slot guys. They've had everybody in there. Guys have been hurt. Guys have been so ineffective they had to get benched. It's just whoever they think they can match up at slot corner. And you know, the, the, the 49ers are going to take advantage of that because they've got all these guys working in the middle of the field. The Cowboys are going to get the ball to Jake Ferguson, and they're going to line C.D. Lamb up in the slot and say who's covering him. So the Eagles don't have a solution for this on their roster. There's no way the Eagles can say, oh, we're going to pull Richard Sherman out of retirement, and that's going to solve this problem. That's not happening. Only good thing is happening for the Eagles right now. Seahawks are pretty beatable next Monday night. Then Giants, Cardinals, Giants. Get some wins. Get some confidence. And find some ways to, to, to win with defense, even if you're getting exposed a little bit in the middle of the field. Get that pass rush at full throttle. Make sure Slay and Bradbury in the corners are not making mistakes and getting penalties. And just hope that some completions in the middle are not enough to beat you come the playoffs. 
Okay, help me with the Eagles' offensive side of the ball. I mean, the numbers, not as good as last year for Jalen Hurts. I think there has been some obvious knee injury situations that Hurts has been dealing with this season. Mm -hmm. Uh, But for me, I don't know that I put all of it on him. I actually put more of it on play calling, that there doesn't seem to be a whole lot of continuity with, you know, setting up one play to make something else successful later on. I'm curious what you think of the Eagles' offense. Well, I mean, one of the things last night also was fumbles. And the fumbles happened at the end of big plays. The Eagles would get a 15, 20-yard run, and Hurts would fumble, and somebody else would fumble along the way. Uh, you know, Brown fumbled. All the most reliable guys are, are coughing the ball up. That The Cowboys were going to win without those fumbles, but it might have been, you know, 33 to 24 or something like that. The play calling has been odd, especially early in games. If you remember the 2022 Eagles, it was run, run, run the ball down your throat, run the zone read, then you would play the deep pass off of that. Now it's more like deep pass, deep pass, deep pass. Oh, my goodness, uh, that didn't work too much. Let's try to throw some runs and some Jalen Hurts design keepers into the mix there. I don't know if that's the change in play calling or losing Shane Steichen to the Colts. I don't know if part of it is the Eagles' offense is structured for Hurts to make some of these decisions. Hurts at the line of scrimmage can look and say, oh, they're creeping up to stop the run. I'm going to throw the bomb. He has a lot of audible and adjustment uh, capability there. Whatever it is, it's been several weeks. Eagles need to tweak it. And it looks like they would be a better team if they just said, hey, you know what? We still have all pros and Hall of Famers on our offensive line here. Why don't we just try hammering the ball, especially against some of these weaker opponents, do what we did best last year and see if that gets us back to where we need to be. Mike Tanier with the messenger right here on KDOS AM 1060 in the extra point. Okay, so the Lions here, they lost to the Bears 28-13. to uh, They almost lost to them a few weeks ago, needing a heroic comeback. They were unable to come back on Thanksgiving against the Packers. They let the Saints come back on them, but they held on to get the yeah. win. Are the injuries now really just starting to pile up and catching up to this Lions team, or is it more Jared Goff putting the ball in harm's way too often? A little bit of both. So you have injuries to their secondary, which has hurt. Uh, they don't have a lot of experience and a lot of depth on their front seven as well. So that's a problem. You know, Aiden Hutchinson is a really good ball player. Try to name a couple others. You might come up short in a little bit. And so, so their defense winds up on the field a little too much, gives up too many big plays. Goff has been hurting them with interceptions, with fumbles. There's been fumbles elsewhere on that team as well. And their offense is built to run the ball and have a ball control passing game, they're not built to play catch-up. You know, their, their deep threat is Jamison Williams. He's still, we're still waiting to see this individual have their breakout season. Their, their top receiver is a slot over the middle guy, and I'm on Ross St. Brown. So, you know, Lions are going to be a playoff team. They're going to make it in there. But they just keep showing you right now it's not fully cooked yet. Some guys have to get experience. They still might have to add some pieces, particularly on defense. And when they make the playoffs, they're going to be the number four team, and it's going to show that they're the number four team in the NFC. All right, curious for your perception on all of this. Obviously, the Cardinals were off on a bye here, and they're in a, a precarious situation. You have a new coaching staff. You have an evaluation process ongoing with quarterback Kyler Murray. They're sitting at 3-10 and 10 mm-hmm. on the season, 2-2 two and two with Kyler back as QB1. Um, 
With the depth of this Cardinals team needing really plenty of positions to be filled, so through the draft, through free agency upcoming here, is it reasonable to think that the Cardinals move forward with Kyler Murray as QB1? Can the Cardinals win with Murray uh, if position upgrades are around him? I believe they can. I believe they should. There are about 20 teams in the NFL who would love to have Kyler Murray under contract for the next couple of years right now to replace their situations, whether they just have no quarterback or in the, they're in this you know, Deshaun Watson territory or they're a team like the Vikings where it's like, oh, we have to start over. We're not going to our cousins. All of these teams would love to say, oh, Kyler Murray, he's back. He looks healthy. He's playing in the shape. And we've got two first-round picks to get – to start building around him. I think that's the no-brainer decision, and I, I, would, I would be stunned at this point if the Cardinals said, hey, you know what, let's, let's just keep rebuilding here and let's see if we can get something for him. That's the forever rebuilding path. That's the way to just say we're pretty much like some weird expansion team, and that's a way to get a coach and a GM who just got hired to get themselves on a hot seat in a year or two. So I like what they've been doing with Kyle and Mary. I more or less, he, he looks like he's doing what he can with what's around him. And I think the Cardinals really should commit to building around him. One more on the Cardinals here for you. Uh, you know, have you been able to get a read on the Cardinals coaching staff with just kind of the talent in general uh, on this team, their three and 10 record? We've been trying to decipher different ways to figure out that, yes, this coaching staff is on the right path. Yes, this coaching staff is, you know, what we want around for a while. So has anything significant stuck out to you or has all been pretty expected in their first year? I've been mostly encouraged. I was discouraged in the preseason. You know, we all we, we all saw the the video of Jonathan uh, uh, Gannon trying to give the motivational speech, and it didn't come off particularly well. But at the start of the season, the Cardinals played surprisingly well. Recently, they, with Murray back, they've gone two and two. The part in the middle of the uh, season when they were playing really poorly, you know, opponents had figured out Joshua Dobbs. Clayton Toon goes out there for a week. There are some just sort of hopeless situations. I, I, don't, I don't have a good read on it, but there's none of these red flags, yellow flags right now where I look at this coaching staff and say, oh, this team is quitting on them. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have a lot of talent. The team shows up every week. They keep things close. They cover some spreads. That's about all. That's about all I've got for you right now on the, on, on Gannon and his staff. Mike Tanier with the messenger here on KDUS AM 1060 in the extra point. Last question for you here today, Mike. Uh, what's been the big storyline for you in the NFL through 14 weeks of the NFL season? Is it quarterback injuries, injuries in general, or is it talking about referees on Monday morning? I hate talking about referees on Monday morning. That might be everyone else's story. It is not mine, even though I led with it this uh, this morning this <laughs> afternoon. It's the quarterback injuries. I was, I was adding it up, and I'm not sure I'm 100% correct, 100% correct, but next week, full slate of games, only six games in week 15 where opening day starting quarterback is facing opening day starting quarterback. Only six games. That's how many backup quarterbacks we're talking about. Oh, and by the way, of those six games, one of them is Desmond Ritter versus Bryce Young. It's, it's a Falcons-Panthers game you don't even want to watch. So but the, the degree to which teams have had to rely on these backups and the different ways they've coped with it, the way the, the Browns have been juggling different quarterbacks and their defense has been winning games. The fact that the, the Steelers, it doesn't matter who their quarterback is, things never seem to work out for their offense. All the drama in the New York Jets after Aaron Rodgers went down, that's been the story. Who do you have at quarterback and how are you making the absolute most of it? 
Mike, as always, appreciate the time. Love chatting football with you, and we'll do it again soon. You got it. Take care and enjoy your week. Thank you. You as well. Once again, he is Mike Tanier with The Messenger.